It's time for episode 366 of the Clockwise Podcast from Relay FM, recorded Wednesday, September 30th, 2020. Clockwise, four people, four tech topics, 30 minutes. Welcome back to Clockwise, the tech podcast where it only takes like 30 seconds to write an opening line, but sometimes you forget. I am one of your co-hosts, Micah Sargent, and I am joined across the internet by my good pal and dungeon buddy, it's Dan the Man Morin. How you doing, Dan? I appreciate your transparency and disclosure, Micah, but I want you to know that I would have been here for it if you just winged it and went by. I think you would have done great, so... But I appreciate that, that you disclosed that to all of our listeners. I know they like it, too. Yeah, it's very important that I'm honest with them. Um, and you know what? It's time to be honest with all of you. We have two awesome guests here who probably roll their eyes at my segues. Uh, I am happy to say that to my left is the senior platform editor of One Zero and now debugger at Medium. It's Megan Maroney. How you doing, Megan? I'm doing well, Micah. It's so lovely to hear your voice. Um, cause mostly I just see your face on my find my friends. Um, because <laughs> you are part of my friends and I just see that you actually haven't left your house in like in 90, maybe since March. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 900 years, maybe. Uh, to my left this week, it's the host and producer of all about Android hands on Android tech news weekly at twit.tv. It's Jason Howell. Welcome back, Jason. What's happening? I feel like such the counterpoint because I'm on a packed airplane right now doing this podcast. <laughs> oh, you sound great, though. It's impressive. Uh, technology. It's just... It's I mean, away. the Heil microphone is really good. So <laughs> Skype's new AI settings. Um, okay, let us get going because we've got 30 minutes for topics. Let's get underway. Uh, Amazon's rings... Always, that's because ring is owned by Amazon. So Amazon's rings always home cam is a camera drone in your home. I want you to take the jokes and the sarcasm and sort of, you know, they can be there, they can exist, they can percolate, but I want you to sort of set those aside, get a little Vulcan for me, dig deep and answer me this. Could you see yourself adding a camera drone to your home? It doesn't have to be made by Ring. It doesn't have to be made by, you know, a a company that maybe you don't want in your home. But in a future where multiple companies are making camera drones, do you think you would consider adding one to your home? Megan, we'll start with you. Mm, no, absolutely <laughs> not. Um, I have had a no cameras inside the home policy for quite a while, probably since, I don't know, maybe when uh, cameras started proliferating and we were testing them at Twit and <clears throat> it was, uh, you know, just, it was interesting. But then I realized... Um, not, uh, not great. <laughs> I have three teenagers and I feel like home cameras, what they do is sort of just acclimate them to a surveillance state, which I'm not really interested in doing. Um, it's, it's not part of my parenting style. Uh, <laughs> so I, uh, even though I did just say you were on my find my friends, but find my friends <laughs> is fine. Like I feel like that's the level of surveillance I need. I, I had some outside cameras, but also, 
I got rid of those too. Um, I mean, I, I love smart home tech. I have, um, you know, the smart lock on my door. So I know when the door's unlocked or, uh, you know, when, when someone's leaving or coming in the house. And that's kind of enough for me. I don't necessarily need to see their face. Um, so yeah, no camera drone for me. Thank you. I, I'm, I'm with, I'm with Megan on this one. I, I, although I did recently add a couple of outdoor security cameras to my new house. And even there, I'm sort of questioning, like, how how much utility am I really getting out of this beyond just it's fun to play around with? I can, I guess I can see the appeal for some people, but I I was chatting with a um, my friend, my co-host over on The Rebound, Lex Friedman, about this the other day. And he's like, you know, I grew up in a house with a, with a alarm system, and I've always had one, basically. And, you know, it brings me comfort because I like the idea that somebody's watching out for me. And I grew up in a house with no alarm system. I've never had an alarm system in any house that I've lived in. And for me, I always associate them with the idea of like, oh, if you have an alarm system, you must need to be worried for some reason. And so the idea that I would, I, I cannot fathom a world in which I, I want or need this because I can't really conceive of the idea of of it being something that's actually protecting me. I, I think fundamentally... I have a bigger worry, like Megan was just talking about, that inviting these cameras and devices into your homes is opening you up to other types of potential risks, including hackers, for example, gaining access to these cameras um, or, you know, other sort of malicious uh, uses of them. And on balance, I feel like they probably open up more risks than they do add actual protection. So... Beyond just the fundamental practicalities of this device, which I also question, I don't know who wants a drone buzzing around their house, running into walls and windows and all that stuff. Um, but I, I just can't really think of a reason why it's it's a thing that people, most people actually want. But I, I do think this plays in a lot to Amazon sort of deciding it's going to market a certain degree of fear and paranoia as something that it thinks it can help sell stuff because, you know, people people get worried about these things. And the promise of making you safer has always been a good selling point for a lot of companies. Jason, what do you think? Uh, wow. I, I just basically agree with both of you. So everything that you both said, um, I mean, I don't you know, we have a couple of cameras on the outside of the house and like hearing you both talk about like the reason why anyone might choose to bring a camera, you know, onto their house, be it inside or outside. Like when I really think about it, you're right. I've lived my entire life without an alarm system of any sort, without any sort of like external protection. I feel like, I feel like there's very little threat, you know, <laughs> as far as our home is concerned. I, I don't know why we have the cameras other than the fact that we can. And sometimes it's kind of nice to know, oh, hey, someone's at the front door before I hear the doorbell ring. I mean, there's there's not a whole lot of utility there outside of the cool factor, I suppose. Um, but then bringing a drone camera inside the home, like I can't – honestly, I just – I have – I struggle to find even one single reason why I would ever need to do that, um, at least in this house. May, I, I suppose maybe if I was living in a house that was like you know 500,000 square feet and you know it was gigantic and this makes the most sense to have a, a drone flying around and I would never see it. But it just also kind of sounds annoying. Like I don't want a little – like I'm, I'm already annoyed by the flies that end up inside the house, let alone a big buzzing drone uh, with a camera on it. And I completely agree with what you said, Megan. Uh, we, we are on the same page as far as like not wanting to uh, instill in my – my children and our family, this like exposure to the, like the surveillance state being a normal thing, a thing that you just kind of get used to and live with because it's there and we made the choice for you. I don't, I don't buy into that. 
Um, Megan, I'm certainly inspired by uh, your your parenting style in that way. You know, right now I have to. Uh, I'm a pet parent. I have got two dogs. Um, and with those, uh, I'm comfortable with them being, uh, happily frog in boiling watered into the surveillance state because it lets me make sure that they're a-okay when I'm out of the home in those very rare occasions, as you've noted, that I am out of the home. As far as the drone in a camera drone, uh, never by ring ever, by ring ever. Uh, ever. But yeah, I think that if I had human children, I would not be having any cameras inside of my house either for that same reason. Or elves on any shelves, frankly. Alrighty, <laughs> let's move on to our next topic, which comes from Megan. Um, before that, I just want to say I'm going to get uh, free Micah's dogs uh, from the <laughs> I'm going to get that trending on Twitter before the end of the day. Um, Anyway, uh, my topic uh, is TikTok and social media in general. Um, I love TikTok. I loved it before the pandemic. I love it even more. Um, I'm not ashamed. I, I read a piece this week by Abra Alhidi uh, in CNET about how the pandemic has really changed the way that we consume and create social media. Um, specifically, she points to TikTok, um, you know, the absence of vacation photos and, you know, just all the things that we used to put on Instagram and Facebook. Um, that's not what TikTok is about. It's really just more authentic. It kind of reminds me of the early web when you just didn't, you know, you weren't connected with your real life uh, network. And so you kind of did anything. You were weird and you didn't care about it. Um, so I just wondered uh, if, if, if like uh, uh, Abrar writes in CNET, has your social media life changed both the way you create uh, on social media and the way you consume social media? Has that changed during the pandemic? Um, somewhat, but I'm not sure how much of it is directly related to the pandemic. I'm sure some of it is. For me, I have tended to be a heavy Twitter user and a somewhat lighter user of Instagram and a virtually non-existent user of Facebook. And that was pretty much it with the exception of Slack, which I, I treat a little bit differently. Um, I have found myself dialing up back a lot on Twitter recently. And part of that is, you know, the, the pandemic and just feeling like, you know, it, it is more draining to go through some of that, especially because we're all feeling the same things, just like, you know, a certain degree of being trapped and being frustrated and all that. Um, and also, and not that it will verge into this too heavily, but, you know, it is a it is a heavy political time. And that's fine. But you also, you know, you have the right to decide your level of exposure and how much you want to consume that much stuff. And so for me, I've been dialing back a little bit there. Um, and posting a lot less, I've noticed also. And I, I'm a part of that, I think, is, is uh, pandemic related, because I feel like the creative energy i have is no longer going into stuff like i'm gonna craft a really clever tweet it's like i barely have enough <laughs> to get my shows done and do all the work i need to do there is no excess energy that can be devoted to creating pithy social media comments so i i think i have dialed back a lot as a result of it and maybe just do more sort of lurking and reading now but even there i feel like i'll you know sometimes in the afternoon if i'm really busy I will not be on social media for hours and I'll go and see I have like hundreds of tweets. I'm like, nope, it's not happening. So yeah, I do think there's there's some effect there. Jason? 
Yeah, I was uh, reflecting <clears throat> not very long ago, like a week ago, about like I had the thought of like, God, man, remember when the most controversial thing on Twitter was, you know, that it was talk like a pirate day, and everyone was either talking like a pirate or making fun of talking like a pirate, and that was like the universal kind of uh, the the universal mindset on Twitter at the at the time. And I mean, during the pandemic and, you know, like the, the collision of all of these different things, uh, at, at one time, you know, Twitter is just, I mean, Twitter is the social network that I use the most. It is hands down the one that I turn to if I'm going to turn to one like you, Dan, uh, Instagram, lightly and everything else. Like, like I'm not even on Facebook. Uh, everything else that is practically non-existent. But so Twitter would be the one for me to even focus on here. And I, I think that my usage during the pandemic and all of this other stuff that's going on, like, I know that it's shifted. I know that I am posting less, I would say, uh, than maybe I was prior. Um, occasionally I, I catch myself, you know, scrolling, uh, into doom and, <laughs> and awake and waking myself up from that, that, you know, that para- paralyzed state and, and going, okay, this is not serving me at all and turning it on. So I know my usage has shifted a little bit, but I think in general, my view of social media lately has just been kind of negative, just basically because, because every, a lot of things in the world are negative and it's like a mirror. It reflects that negativity. And, uh, so sometimes I just kind of have to ask myself like, okay, well then why am I doing it? You know? And I think a part of the reason that I'm doing it is because I feel, uh, kind of obligated to, it's, it's part of my job to be a, you know, kind of a public figure in podcasting. And Twitter has largely been a tool that I've been able to focus on to do that. But, um, it doesn't always make me feel good. And right now I really want to feel good. (laughs) So, so, you know, some, some days I do a better job of, uh, trimming that back and some days I fall into the pit again. It's just the way it goes. Uh, I think for me, social media hasn't changed too much. Um, I've never been, I've sort of watched people with fascination who are able to, uh, post things on their Instagram stories and Snapchat stories regularly. Um, I think I just, I mostly lead a boring life in comparison, perhaps, or I don't know how to pretend like I don't lead a boring life. Because for me, it would just be, yes, I'm sitting in front of my desk. Oh, there's a, there's a microphone in my mouth. Um, oh, I'm having a cup of coffee and nobody needs to see that day in and day out. Um, so I, I don't know that the, the pandemic has, has changed things at all. Um, but I will just say that I also really like TikTok. The other day, my partner and I were, uh, on the couch and I opened up TikTok and had a laugh. And then suddenly he and I were both just sitting next to each other with my phone in front of us, just scrolling through TikTok of videos and just laughing our tookuses off. It was a lot of fun. Um, so if you haven't given TikTok a try, just scroll through one time and you may realize that it's a lot of, uh, a lot of fun. Megan, why don't you round up this topic for us? Uh, I'm so glad. I have a vision of you guys just sitting on the, on the couch, um, looking at TikTok um, Joy together. Joy in our hearts. Yes. Uh, yeah. So I, I, um, I think my uh, consuming of, uh, of social media has changed a little bit. Like I, I literally can't stand to look at Instagram or Facebook. It just drives me crazy. Some of the political stuff, some of the people still going on vacation, um, that just uh, blows my mind and makes me sad. And I don't want to spend my life, you know, my hours judging other people because that's not healthy for anyone. So yeah, I think, um, 
I, I do love uh, TikTok and mostly because it's nobody I know and it's the algorithm is so good and uh, it just it gets me. Uh, well, folks, we have reached halftime and that means it's time for Dan to tell you about something exciting. It is. Uh, well, normally we are, you know, sponsored by a uh, sponsor. Mm, that sounds great. <laughs> sponsored uh, by this a sponsor. week. We're sponsored by ourselves. We just wanted to remind you that our new Clockwise Unwound membership is available for five bucks a month or fifty dollars a year. You get access to bootleg tracks of Clockwise. So you know, sometimes when we go over, we have to cut stuff out because thirty minutes. We're serious about it. But you can uh, subscribe and get a feed of the bootleg, which is a show basically drops right right after the show. It's unedited, but you get that full extra goodness, a little pre and post show talk and maybe some stuff that gets cut out in the middle. Plus, you get access to a bunch of other great stuff in the Relay FM membership feed, like the crossover shows um, and, and plenty more. So we really appreciate your support. It's a great way to help out the show. Plus, you get something extra for it. And who doesn't like extra stuff? So go to relay.fm slash clockwise to sign up for the new Clockwise Unwound. We appreciate it. And that's halftime. And now I'll throw it to me. So uh, big outages this week from both Apple and Microsoft services over the last few days. I'm kind of curious, given this, are you at all wary on our increasing dependence on online services for basic things like productivity? I can't use Microsoft Word or, um, you know, your entertainment, like your music and your streaming. All this stuff relies heavily on being online rather than sort of being just local. And Mike, I'm just kind of curious how you feel about that. Jason? Hmm. Yeah, I've definitely thought about this a lot. I, when I think about this topic, it really goes into um, less into like the productivity side of things, because like, you know, I've, I've used uh, Microsoft Word before it was ever online. Like I, I know how to still be productive, even if I can't, you know, do my docs in Google Drive or something like that. So I'm not as worried about that. I think where I get a little concerned on my reliance of online and, and digital services has to do with, you know, stuff that I feel, stuff that I think I own when maybe I don't necessarily. Things for like my photos that are all back, uh, backed up in air quotes, uploaded to Google Photos, like, you know, <laughs> hundreds of thousands of my pictures there. And when, when I really think about where else they might be, like there is no like single source, a uh, single local source where I have all of those photos. Also, it's pretty much just there right now, and I and I realize I'm walking a tightrope by by doing that. My music, you know, all these different things that I've assumed because I've uploaded them, you know, in an exhaustive way onto these services that I'll always have access to them. And let's be real, like 20 years from now, are my photos still going to be on Google Photos in the cloud? Like. I kind of don't think so. Like, I think there's going to be enough changes over the next 20 years that that's going to shift. And maybe there will be an alternative solution for that. Maybe I'll go rogue and pull it all off offline and, you know, and, and own it again. But, um, yeah, it concerns me if I ever lost access to my account or it went down or, you know, <laughs> Google's vast array of hard drives all for whatever stupid reason decided to delete themselves. Uh, I realize that probably wouldn't happen, but you know, I, they'd be gone and I'd be devastated. So yeah, it concerns me. Uh, 
I think the biggest concern for me is not for what we have now, but what is in the near future. We continue to see uh, companies, Amazon just announced one, a, a streaming gaming platform. Um, we are going to see more virtualization happening where instead of having a local computer that does all of the tasks you need it to do, you are connected to a more powerful server somewhere and you sort of can, can, you know, be on a Windows machine, can be on a Mac, can be on whatever machine you need to be with a lower powered local device. And I think that that virtualization, you know, it's something that's been in the works for a long time, and we're just getting around to that. But can you imagine, uh, especially we had a Joe Rosensteel on recently, a VFX artist, and uh, he was talking about a future where you've got virtualized machines that do that work. And what happens when that server and the backup goes down for whatever reason, and now you've got a bunch of people who can't do their job that day, and what kind of impact that has on not just Hollywood, but on so many different things. Um, that's my biggest concern. Uh, so yeah, I suppose I am wary of our increasing dependence on online services, because we continue to push even more into that space. And I think it's going to require a huge upgrade to the infrastructure to really make it happen if the pandemic has taught us anything. Megan, what are your thoughts? Well, I didn't notice the outages. I don't know what that says about me. I, I don't really use <laughs> Microsoft. Um, and I guess I wasn't streaming music or trying to watch TV with the Apple outage. Um, but I, uh, Jason, what you said about photos just has thrown me into a, a complete panic now. Um, I'm I do, sorry. <laughs> I do have all of my photos on Google Photos and also I pay a ridiculous amount of money, um, to have them on also on iCloud. I'm not ridiculous, but like $10 a month, which I just look every time I see that charge, I think there's gotta be some other way I could be doing this. But, um, yeah, I, I was thinking what you said about 20 years ago, and I definitely have photos on Shutterfly from probably 19 years ago or maybe 20 years ago. I ha would have to look back. I know that it was before my 18-year-old was born. Um, and so, yeah, they're still there on Shutterfly. They haven't gone away and you don't hear much about Shutterfly. But I do feel that I would get like many alerts before they – if they were going to go down, I feel like I would get, you know, those those kinds of alerts. So I, I don't worry too much. But I definitely had a bunch of photos on SmugMug. And like those, I don't know if Smug, I think they're still also online and available. But I also think I don't really know. And I care less about those photos, because I just really, you know, it's, and that that's sort of sad to me. But again, it's like, we have so many photos. Maybe we don't need to like um, <laughs> take. We don't. Maybe, maybe we don't need to take all of that that cloud stuff with us um, for the next twenty years. Who knows? But yeah, I do worry a little bit. Mostly, I worry about um, if Google went down because I wouldn't be able to do anything. No, no docs, no sheets, no Gmail, no Hangouts. I would either crawl into the corner of my room and pass out or maybe i would celebrate who knows it sounds incredibly liberating i, I would take <laughs> yeah. that day um yeah no you guys brought up some great points i didn't even think about like the photos thing i mean i have all my photos in icloud and it's automatically downloaded to one of my macs and then that's backed up back to back blaze so i guess i'm all over the place um but it's a great point um 
For me, I kind of agree with with Megan. I didn't notice these outages other than reading about them because I don't rely on most of these things. And I think when the the Apple one happened, I was recording a show or something. So I was not in the middle of using anything. Um, From a productivity standpoint, so much of the software I rely on is local software that's, you know, run on my Macs or on my devices. And so I don't worry about that as much. The entertainment side of things, it's definitely a little more frustrating. But unless there's something so widespread that takes out all possible entertainment services, which I guess could happen. Uh, I feel like I would have bigger problems to worry about at that point. Um, I, I don't worry about it too much. I, I can always go read a book. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think there is a great point that the reliance on off-site stuff just for having all of your data does like sort of shift the, the responsibility a bit. And it lets you feel a little bit more disconnected. And hopefully that means that your stuff is more secure because the people looking after it are perf- like, that's their job. Their job is to keep the servers up. But it does introduce some risk as well. Um, so, yeah, I'm kind of curious to see how it goes. There's a, a lot of stuff. Obviously, Mike mentioned gaming services and stuff like that. I think we are going to increasingly go online for a lot of these things because it's the way it goes. But, um, yeah, I, I think it's it's interesting to watch how this evolves. All right. We have enough time for one more topic, which comes from Jason. What do you got for us? So looking back on your life, if you could kind of relive one aspect of your tech experience and, you know, maybe that's bewilderment about a particular technology or just the fun of discovering something new when you were a kid or whatever it was, what would that be? And why do you think it holds such a powerful place in your heart? Mine would be my discovery of troubleshooting electronics, um, especially computers. It was me realizing that I could use the skills that I had to either acquire more knowledge or to simply fix the thing that was broken that someone needed help with. And that just felt good and made me feel good. Megan, what about you? Um, I... I love that you asked these questions, Jason. And, um, I, it made me, me think <laughs> about, uh, the first graphics program that we had when I was a teenager, which was Mac Paint. And we had it on the, um, my Macintosh Plus uh, or my Macintosh Classic. And I say mine, but it wasn't mine. It was my family's. Um, but, and I'm not really an artist, but I just remember playing around with it and just loving it because it was like, here's, you know, because back then it wasn't like we didn't have Michaels or anything. So it's like we didn't just like, you know, have a room full of paint and crayons and, you know, things you can make art with. But just being able to click around and draw and spray paint and like make patterns, you know, you'd click on the, the thing that was just like a little square with a bunch of dots. And then all of a sudden dots would be everywhere. I just loved playing with that. And I played with it forever. And I, I would still play with it if Mac Paint existed. But I mean, there are lots of programs like that. But yeah, that that's Mac Paint. Uh, for me, I think it was the earliest days of the web when I discovered like making web pages and the fact that you could go and look at any web page and then see like underneath how it was made. And that let me sort of figure out how to build my own web pages. Um, it felt very free and open and very, you know, very democratic in that early, <laughs> early era where it's like, I can put up a page and it's up there just like anybody else's page. I can get my page added to Yahoo or whatever. Like it, it's not that hard it's not like you know you you have to be a giant company or something like that and it felt very freeing and you know it was enabled a lot of creativity um and it was just that early age of exploring like what was out there what people were doing and it really opened up a huge new dimension like i loved using my computer before that but after you know going online became a part of life 
it just multiplied exponentially, like what was going on, like the, the, the abilities that you had and the things you could do and the people you could communicate with. And, you know, obviously we're still seeing the, the huge ramifications of that positive and negative many, many decades later. But yeah, that was the, the moment I sort of think back on most fondly is like those earliest days of surfing the web and, and just realizing the potential that was out there. Yeah, I mean, mine kind of ties in with what you're talking about, but not necessarily with the internet, with bulletin board systems back Mm -hmm. in the 80s, back Mm -hmm. in the late 80s, I should say. Um, But I had a Commodore 64, and there was a time, you know, between my fifth and seventh grade years where I had that Commodore 64 and I had this little 300 baud modem. Once, once I understood what a, what a BBS was and that I could connect to it with the phone line, like I was, I was addicted exploring those BBSs. Like, you know, first it was what BBSs are in Boise where I grew up, Boise, Idaho. You know, what, what are they around here? How do I discover them? Oh, this one's not very good, but this one's great. It's got a great community. I'm going to post a message. And then, you know, I'd wake up the next morning and be like, Oh, I wonder if someone responded to my message and I'd log onto that BBS and open it up and sure enough some random person named the mad hatter you know responded to my message and it just felt like magic and then at some point started calling bbs's outside of boise and realizing they all had their own strengths and their own kind of attention to to like uh ansi graphics and and you know creativity and all this stuff it was literally like suddenly my eyes were open to this digital world that had had existed but i just didn't know about and then suddenly i was a part of that community and then i can totally see how that just paved the way for me to kind of move on to the internet in a very natural and freeform way. So pretty cool. Awesome folks. We are just about to the end of the episode, but I have a bonus topic for you. I'm just curious. And uh, if you can give me a quick answer here, do you love or hate surprises? Megan? Hate them. (laughs) Dan? Love them if they're good. Hate them if they're bad. (laughs) Jason? (laughs) Yeah, I think that's a pretty good answer. I actually really do like, like surprises, but if it's a, but if it's a bad surprise, eh, you know what? Pull off the band-aid. Just let me know. (laughs) Uh, yeah, I was definitely talking about positive surprises. I love positive surprises and I love giving positive surprises, but um, I understand some people do not, and it's it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> Folks, uh, that is going to do it for us. All that's left is to thank our incredible guests, Megan Moroni. I'm sorry I have to say it that way every time. I do appreciate you being here. Thank you so much for having me. And Jason Howell, thank you so much for being here. You bet. It's always a blast. Thank you, guys. And Michael will be back next week, but until then, we remind everybody listening out there, watch what you say, and keep watching the clock. Surprise! <laughs> <laughs>